Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Stephen, covenant member here at Selma. So today we'll be reading from 1 Samuel uh, 18, 1 through 5. And if you're looking at your black Bibles, that'll be on page 241. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit, with, uh, was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And, so, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made that covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul, sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. We see him. Good morning. My name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma, and uh, we are week two of a series on friendship. And so, uh, please join me in prayer, and we'll uh, we'll jump in the sermon. Father God, I ask uh, of you in this moment, if just for me. Because, uh, Lord, right now, I, I feel hurried. I feel rushed. I feel um, just a product of a uh, culture that continually uh, is moving from one thing to the next. Um, but yet, I'm mindful of the fact that you are very much so a God who meets us in a present moment. And you often don't speak in thunderous writing cursive script with clouds and skies. But you often speak through a still and small voice. And so, Lord, I, I'm imagine I'm not alone in this room, that the act of coming around a still, small voice seems like such a challenge because of the racing of thoughts, the racing of schedules. So I pray right now, Lord, that you'd give us presence. Or there's a lot of things that take us away from that. Or as we want to look at today, there's ways that, that take us out from being present to you and present to each other. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that if you'd give us a moment, if, again, just in this moment, a moment to slow down, to hear from you, to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be active and moving. Uh, I pray that we would be responsive and we might feel the presence of your spirit communing in the souls of the believers and also imprinted on the natures of every single one of us here. Believer in Jesus, somebody who grew up in church, or someone who has not darkened the doors of a church service in a long time. Lord, I pray that that spirit would be working. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was um, a baby of the mid-80s and therefore a child of the 90s, and so I remember very vibrantly when Friends, the TV show on NBC, dropped onto primetime. And in... There's so much I could talk about of like how that shaped my life and the culture and just even um, communicating with certain relationships, almost purely in quotes from the show Friends. But even beyond its sense of like making a mark on me personally, it, it again had a larger cultural impact. And when kind of people sat around and said like, hey, why is this hitting? Why is this, you know, making such a, uh, a, a, a mark on, on people of today? They actually were talking with one of the actors, David Schwimmer, who plays Ross on Friends. And he talked about that he said, I, I, I think it's actually a fantasy that people have 
and it's being fulfilled by watching the show, of they desire to have relationships, friendship relationships, that, that come together as close as family. And I thought, man, that quote is profound for two reasons. One is that I think it's absolutely true. That not only I think it's true, culture has shown that, that they think it's true, and just even the way that they went about making friends, but the way that they made pretty much all TV shows of that day, I, I, still to this day. I mean, whether it was Cheers that came before it, uh, or Seinfeld, or How I Met Your Mother, or uh, just any scene where we continually had a group of characters coming on a daily or, or almost daily basis to the same restaurant booth or the same couches in a coffee shop or the same bar where everyone could sit around and have an intimacy that extended what most of us experience in our daily lives. And, and that's the second thing that I actually thought was really impactful as I continue to just think about Schwimmer's response is that if we're all fantasizing over this idea of friendships that would be close or as close or closer than family, then why do very few of us seem to have achieved it? Because, again, whatever you fantasize for, if you can't achieve it, typically you do. And there's many things in life that many of us have dreams or fantasies over that, that we just finally find too difficult to pursue or to achieve. I mean, a lot of people just like, desire to be, have higher wealth or to be of a higher tax bracket. But at the end of the day, Resources are tough. It's tough to put in the hours or put in the connections to make a certain level of income. And so we just realize, like, hey, regardless of if I find myself to be wealthy, I mean, globally, we're all extremely wealthy, but still, whether I find myself hitting this certain level of fantasy wealth or not, partly is because it's like it's difficult to get to the level of, of the upper uh, thresholds of that. Secondly, also, you look at like fame or like power. Like I, I desire to have some level of fame, notoriety, uh, you know, uniqueness to my, my profession, my relationship, my world. But yet again, it's difficult to achieve. So all this would suggest that potentially if friendship is something that we all desire and the closeness of friendship like that is something we all desire, but yet many of us would probably admit to not having it, then maybe we actually find ourselves pursuing something that seems like it should be simple, but in fact is deceptively impossible or not it's impossible but deceptively difficult. And I would say, actually, in some of the ways that our culture is set, if we don't eschew certain things in our culture, it, it does come impossible. But as I said, we're, we're week two in a series on friendship, which I have to import a lot of week one. Week one and two are really just kind of like two parts of the same sermon. So I have to, I, at the risk of making just a billion TV references, I have to do like a little previous on Lost or Parenthood or whatever, you know, fill in the blank TV show of like all the important scenes that came before, make a moment right here. So uh, last week we talked about the idea that we are extremely lonely as people, that we find ourselves in sociological data saying that over half of Americans will say like they don't have significant connections with people who they call friends. And that some statistics up to 25% claim to have no friends at all. And then, as I said last week, that in the UK, they appointed their first minister of loneliness. That we've come to a place as political entities that governments are stepping into a pretty hot topic trending about this sense that we feel very disconnected from each other. And this isn't just like the sense of like, oh man, we want to do a series to kind of help out the Eleanor Rigby's out there that are just like, you know, no friends and living alone and picking up rice in a wedding. Uh, but it's the sense of like, hey, no, it, it's not just certain people. Hey, you're single and you don't have roommates and there you find yourself lonely. Or, uh, you know, you've come to an age where you've outlived a spouse or outlived family and you find yourself lonely. 
This is something that is true, even as we said last week, of moms of small children. That many of you, like in the small children phase, find yourself surrounded 24-7 by people, but at the same time not having the connectivity that your soul desires. Or even it's true of men and women in the best of marriages. Not like rough marriages where there's either a lot of tension or just a lot of like icing out and, and not living in oneness, but living in separate lives, parallel lives. But I'm talking about like vibrant, rich relationships that still have a sense of like, it, my social fabric is made for more than just one intimate relationship. Rather, I'm made to be in a litany of robust and deep friendships and relationships. And, and as we said, and as we'll continue to say several times, that sense of longing and weakness for the need for others is not a sign of what's broken within you. It's a sign of a design that's beautiful within you, that you were designed by an infinite God, that it wasn't just like a design flaw of like, oh man, bugs in the first design, so I'll re-release the app later without a loneliness feature, but rather it was the sense that like, no, there is something that he put into us before the fall of humanity, before sin enters the world, to say that, hey, you're going to feel lonely when not intimately connected in relationships. And in that, it's first, as last week was said, a call to be relating to God as friend, that all of the Bible is an increasing revelation of God, that he wants us to know him, to know him intimately, and to be in relationship to him. But as we said last week, and as we want to get into much more robustly this week, it, it can't stop merely with being you in God. I remember a season in my life where I was experiencing intense amount of loneliness, even though I was surrounded in a lot of surfacey relationships. And I just remember saying to myself, well, like, well, at the end of the day, like, you know, God made me be in a relationship with him. I can just be like me and God rolling thick together and we're cool. But the fact is, is that God said, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. And the answer was not then, oh, so you now me and you need some more buddy-buddy time, man. It was a sense of, hey, you need to be in relationship to me and you need to be in re- re- relationship with others. First of all, what does that say about the unenviousness of God? That he would create us not to all just like come around him solely, but that he would actually create us and design us to be in relationship with his creation as well, to be in relationship with others. And then also beyond that, we just need to ask ourselves if we find ourselves possessing something like 532 friends on Facebook, but yet probably feel a deep and profound loneliness at certain times, then what are we doing wrong when we pursue spiritual friendship? And note specifically that I say spiritual friendship because there's multiple kinds of friendship. There's carnal friendship, as philosophers have said over time, and carnal friendship is simply the sense of, hey, we like the same thing. We have a sense that we're in the same life stage or we both like the same sport team, or we both like the same hobby, the same band, or the same movies. We can relate in such a way that C.S. Lewis says, like, one of the ways that all friendships begin is one person looking to the other and saying, you too, I thought I was the only one. And, and so there's this sense where that's good and right, and that's where friendships begin, but all the people who have studied and, and done work on friendship have said, it can't stop there. Because if we like chopping it up on the basketball court and all of a sudden I blow out my knee or just don't like basketball anymore, then how do we relate? If we both were in the same life stage, 
We both were just like, you know, single, and then one of us gets married, or one of us starts having kids, or maybe we have kids, and then one of us goes on to just like a different school phase, and we no longer have the same level of commonality, then where does our relationship continue? And I would submit that one of the issues we find is that many of us have exclusively carnal relationships. And then beyond that, you also have worldly relationships or partnership in the world to say like, hey, like business partnerships or nonprofit partnerships can serve together to serve a neighborhood. Or maybe you have sense where you were on a team when you were growing up or were in school, whether it be a sport team, an academic team, whatever. And you all came together for a common purpose. And I've talked to many men and women who are just like, man, there's something about like those days where I was on this team with, you know, 12 other women, and we were all pursuing the same goal, the same championship, the same playoff spot. Like, we were all going to, like, receive a level of accolade, and we were common purpose. And we realized, hey, some of us have to sacrifice. Some of us have to be honored more than others. Some of us need to serve more or or to push others up so that we can all achieve one goal together. And then, but beyond those two things, there's what people have called spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship is what actually— Beyond that, it has parts of those things, but it's more than just those things. I have a definition for you that I'll read to you. Spiritual friendship is when two or more people, bound together by faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ, who brought us into friendship with the Father. It is indispensable with the work of the gospel and the earth is an essential element, an essential element of what God created us for. So that's a great working definition. But if we don't put flesh and bones to that, then I'm afraid that we just walk out of here with nothing more than the definition. And the best way I can think to put flesh and bones is to show that the Bible is not only filled with proverbs and wisdom of how to build biblical spiritual friendships, but is also filled with examples of where you might see them. And, and one of them comes really clearly from, from 1 Samuel 18. And so if you close your Bibles, uh, would you reopen there? It's page 241 in the Black Bible around you, which is our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that. 1 Samuel 1. Uh, 18, starting in verse 1, and I, I simply just want to look at this situation, look at this friendship between David and Jonathan, and just pull out a few observations um, of ways that they have intentionally cultivated a spiritual friendship in ways that might be a little bit at odds with our culture, ways that we might have to press into intentionally because it's like writing with our left hand. Unless you're left-handed, you're one of those weird people. Um, In which case, you have commonality and deep carnal friendship with all other lefties. Um, But I'm not one of you. So, um, verse 1, 18. Uh, As soon as uh, he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So initially what I want you to see is the level of intimacy that is this friendship is birthed in and sustained in. Because, again, this is a point we said last week and a point I think we need to regularly fight against in our culture. We simply don't have robust categories for friendships 
not simply just being about a common thing that we want together, but also having all the sense of wanting to pursue another person, having affection towards another person. I I think we have a little bit of it, but there's just a line where we say, hey, friendships only go this far, and then if you really want deep intimacy, you need to find yourself upgraded into a marriage. But the problem is, is the Bible's never going to lay out friendships as like intimacy light. In fact, if you read all throughout the scriptures, you read David and Jonathan, you read Ruth and Naomi, you read you know, just Paul and Jesus and all these people throughout history, they seem to have a very robust intimacy amongst each other that, that pales no second fiddle to marriage. See, I, I fear that sometimes in the church, we perpetuate the lie that in order to have all of the intimacy that you were designed for, you have to be married. I simply, while see marriage as something beautiful, something that where like God is certainly used to like refine and shape and, and, and satisfy some parts of my soul, I, I don't want to further distort singles and marrieds by, by purporting that forward because simply the idea is I if I'm not married, if I go through life and man, it's just like for whatever reason, I, I'm more focused on other things or, or God just doesn't provide me with a spouse, then, then I just always have to suffer the lack of something that, that I was truly designed for. But on some level, doesn't that take Jesus who never married, never experiences intimacy in that way, but yet is, is put forward as an example of a perfection of humanity, of humanity. And in that, we don't see him connecting with a spouse, but, but regularly we see him connecting with, with 12 disciples. And amongst those 12 disciples, he has the three. And then amongst those three, he seems to even talk really intimately about his relationship with John, about John calling himself, man, I'm, I'm just considering myself the disciple that he loved the most. And the problem is, too, it also puts forward this idea with marrieds that, like, man, once you hit marriage— just focus all your energy and attention on that relationship and just start cutting off anything that gets in the way of pursuing deeper intimacy with your spouse and your kids or or just your immediate family. The problem with that is then you get all these people involved in marriages that again find themselves like, yeah, like we have a great relationship. We have, we pursue date night. We, We pursue connection to each other, but there's just something more complex about who we are meant to be to put all our focus, attention on on one person or, or one small group of people. I read an article. Actually, I read the tar- title of an article, and I intuited what it was about. Um, but, but either way, uh, I was sent an article that I want to read about uh, co-familying, and I did talk to them a little bit about it. I know a little bit of the context. Essentially, like, that so many families just, I have my spouse, I, now I have my kids as, one of my friends once said, like, I don't need people now. I can make my own people. And, and, and I just kind of like corral up with this group of people. And the, the article was actually saying like, no, like it wanted to put forward a sense of co-familying of multiple families or, or families and singles being connected together to show a f- larger sense of the body of Christ amongst to children, amongst to, to others, for, for men and women to link arms, to stack hands and say, hey, this now isn't just about me and my, my little squad here. It's not just squad goals. It's, it's much larger than that. And I, I think also part of the problem we have when we look at what's going on with David and Jonathan, I mean, this language just kind of makes us uncomfortable, the sense of that their souls were knit together. Later on in the relationship, it's going to talk about that 
David and Jonathan loved each other more than they loved any woman. And some of us, I mean, and many commentators want to say, hey, can we be real right now? Like, it's 2018. This is a gay relationship. Regardless of what you think of the rightness or wrongness of homosexuality, and, and, and there's actually, I think, no way that, that this in itself is being put forth as that relationship beyond a friendship. For a couple reasons, namely, number one, the culture that r- penned First Samuel saw homosexual relationships because of the Torah. Like they said, hey, we believe these are an abomination to God. And so there's no way that a people that sees that way is going to just put forward a story and say, hey, I, we just want to wink at this and you can just decide what you want. As well as the Bible has no problem just like calling people out and being like, hey, this is like they weren't in line with the way that the rest of the community thought. This is what our community thought. And so, hey, David, at times they put forward as a, he's a murderer. At other times they put forward as like, hey, he's a, a, a liar, one who has so much blood on his hands that he's not going to build the temple of God. And so it would have no problem just like saying like, hey, we also, this is what we believed about sexuality and he wasn't in line with this too. The Bible would have no problem doing that. And so the fact that it just like lays this out and then doesn't touch it says like, maybe it's the fact that we just don't have a category in our minds for friendship that is this intimate. So that when we say like, oh man, like he, he loves this man and it, 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 it meets an equality or maybe even surpasses that of a love for a woman, that immediately that has to go to a place where this is completely sexualized. And my, I just call again, not trying to jump into all that conversation, all the nuance that needs to be had there, but just to say like, might we greatly disservice ourselves by continuing to decredit friendship and the power that it can be. That we need to have a category for relationship where men uh, or, or women together can, can be in such intimacy that, that they can have a love that is not the same as a spouse, but man, it's, it's ever bit as deep and intimate and, and real. I think this also means like, man, we just have places in our culture where we need to explore look like to verbally and physically affirm connection with each other in places that might initially make us uncomfortable. I don't know what it is about me that just really struggles to say I love you to many people in my life who, if I take stock of our relationship, I absolutely love those people. But there's just something that I've been trained to think like, no, love is just this you know, romanticized, like only you know, these people, only very small group of people. You don't want to widen that circle out too much. And, and I can't say it and affirm it to people just who I very much so have a loving relationship with guys who are just like, man, I, I, I love you. There's something that, about you that's just like you are like a brother to me. Also, just in physical connectivity. I talked with um, a man who's a pastor in the city um, who, I mean, he like will tell you like his stories. Like, you know, he grew up um, just having a really uh, tough relationship with his dad. And just for a lot of different reasons, like he, pursued attention uh, in, in homosexual relationships throughout growing up, and then eventually came to this point where it's like, hey, like, I, I, I believe that whatever, you know, like the scripture right now is saying, like, that it's calling me to, to celibacy right now. That was what he affirmed. And as he did that, though, he said, I still had some sense of longing and connectivity to be had with relationships that, that I said, I wanted to push against our culture and press in and connect in appropriate but, but powerfully and intimate and, and physical ways with with men. And he said, I, I just would regularly, like when I met with guys, just I would break the, the bubble line of this is my bubble, this is your bubble, and we don't co-bubble. And I would just regularly just hug people and, and break down walls that way and, and invite them into a physically but yet appropriate intimate relationship. 
I mean, I just think about my junior high self, thinking about Middle Eastern cultures where men, would, like, who care about each other and have friendships would interlock pinkies as they walk down the road, and just thinking, like, oh, man, it's like, you know, having no level of maturity to, like, you know, take that in, because culture just kind of said, like, oh, man, that, that's really weird, and, and that goes in a place of, like, you just, you just don't do that as a man. I'd rather saying, like, no, like, the way that I see men and women, to, like, we are physically connected people. And not beyond all, just like the sense of affirming strong friendships. I think there's ways that we fail to be the body of Christ when we fail to have some level of physical connection amongst ourselves. I had a, there's a pastor when I was talking to one time, um, when I was attending uh, his church. I mean, he was just a really faithful mentor to me. And at one point I was just confessing, just this uh, sin was in my life. I'm like, man, I just got to get this out. Uh, you know, can I, can I just make this heard to you? And while I always talk about, man, there's something about, yeah, confessing to God, but also confessing to physical ears. In the midst of that, he, like, stops me, and he, like, repositions his body, repositions mine. Like, he holds my shoulders, like, tries to make sure, like, he knows, like, I'm looking into your eyes, you're looking into mine. He says something really simple at that point that I think I knew, but he felt like he had to make this, like, pomp and circumstance around it, and I understand now why. He just, like, looks at my eyes and says, hey, you're forgiven. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I, I, I know I'm forgiven. I just got to confess. No, 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 like, I, I want you to look into my eyes and just to receive touch and eye contact that says, you are forgiven. And now, like, looking back, I realized there was just something to the fact that when God says, hey, I, my church is going to be my hands and my feet. They're going to be my body. Yes, that means, like, serving to build the kingdom, and sometimes that's in metaphorical ways of, of building nonprofits or organizations or, or doing work amongst the, you know, uh, communities of our city or our world. But also there's something true about that of just like having a physical hand to touch someone and having a voice and eye contact to embody the words of Jesus to you. He didn't have to go out on a far limb to say like, hey, there, I've got plenty of scripture to back me up. You're confessing these things. You're repenting of them. You are forgiven. Some people will be like, oh man, that's, that's weak. Like we got to rely on, on like people to like do the word of like audibly speaking the voice of God. Now, first of all, I've got a full category for people that receive audible words from God, but I, I got to admit I haven't received any. And so, yes, I believe there's ways that I connect with God simply through his spirit. But I think there's a whole list of ways that God is calling us to connect with each other just to embody the body of Christ, to be the hands, the feet, the eye contact, the very words of God. You mean, get real dangerous with that. Like, you know, thus saith the Lord. Like, you know, everybody give me 20 bucks. But beyond like the sense of, of going into crazy heretical land, there's ways where we can just look at each other and say, hey, you're forgiven. Hey, you're loved. Hey, you are affirmed as a friend of God. Furthermore, in verse two, it says, and Saul took David that day and would not let him to return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. This idea of covenant, talk about it all the time, right? I mean, covenant is rife with the scriptures. But what I actually like, found as I was like, just pressing into this, that there was many cultures of this day that had covenants of friendship. Like not beyond just like the sense of like, hey man, um, we're going to get matching tattoos or like best friend forever necklaces and like break them in half. But like actually like a sense of you would have a public ceremony similarly to the one that you might have if you marry a man or a woman. 
And, and so as a man and wife get married and declare certain things publicly before God and before each other, so two friends would publicly have a ceremony in which they would covenant to each other publicly to say, hey, I'm committing my soul to this person. I'm committing my energy, my time, my efforts. I am not signing up a contract that says, man, if my needs are fully met and they fully meet mine or, or you know, provided needs and, and payments is all, you know, square, that we continue to be in a relationship. But rather there's a sense of like, no, I, I'm going to fight to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you even when it doesn't meet my needs at all, when it even runs counter to my needs. I, I'm going to fight to think the best of you. I'm going to fight to forgive you. I just think of this sense of covenant. I mean, there, there was like legal benefits that came along with this. But man, there's like such a place in our world that like our friendships are very committed as long as there's like this co-life benefit. But man, like the point where it's like this person just like confesses the same thing all the time. And man, it's just like kind of wearing me out right now. Or like, man, like I, I, I'm kind of like in a much better place than them. Like this is like a one-way street of me really having to love and to serve them or like really come around them right now. There's a place in Proverbs where it says, like, hey, like somebody who's a acquaintances is probably heading to ruin, but but someone, there's a friend, a, a, a faithful friend who sticks closer than a brother. It was it was affirming this idea that maybe affinity is not where the deepest relationships are formed. Maybe adversity is actually where they're formed. Maybe a sense of like, man, life is hard right now, and I'm just gonna walk alongside with you. This is not adding a ton to my life. But I realize, man, I, I have a real place to, to add a ton to yours right now. And yes, there might be a time where role reversal, you know, things change. But whether there is or where there isn't, I'm in this with you. I think in that same sense of, of commitment, um, it also invites us to actually be people that regularly forgive. so many friendships just go the way of like we're friends until we just hit that first point of conflict or that first point you you have to tell me the truth and love but i decide that you didn't tell me enough truth or with enough love or whatever the balance is the eq is not right and and it hits that point of just like well that was great we're friends but now that's over there was someone i was reading on friendship this week that basically said there's something about our souls that so desire continuity that, that to continue to pursue friendship with a friendship that has been damaged or maybe even like been buried is one of the most revitalizing things one can do for their soul. But yet we live in a culture where it's like, man, if it's not working right now, make a change and then figure that out later. And, and the problem is, is that we have all this sense of like, well, man, it's just like, I, we don't believe every little last detail of, of this thing together or, or man, like you just didn't pursue me exactly when I really needed you. And so I'm just going to like, you know, go and kind of find a better group of friends. But the problem is, is we get in the place where like, I, this, per, this is going to be the group of friends that is perfect and now they weren't good. And so this is going to be the group of friends. And we go through our entire lives never getting beyond the first offense with a group of people. Well, I would humbly submit it's beyond the first offense that you actually start forming a relationship with someone. And so there, there's a level of covenant here that, man, it's just foreign to the world and the life and man, just so many things that we've adopted into our thinking is just what's normal that is really going to 
run counter to these relationships coming and providing the, the depth that they, re- they require for our souls. Beyond that, this is probably the most countercultural thing at all, of, of all, though not maybe amazingly controversial. It's a commitment to being in proximity with people. And the issue is there, well, okay, so for those, and I realize there's not everybody in the room, but those who have been to college or are there now, recognize like a lot of you will even say, man, there was just something about like living with like 45 people in one house uh, where like, man, like we just had this robust of like, we, you know, went to school together. We lived together. We slept just, you know, feet from each other. We ate together. We studied together. You know, we worked jobs together. We went, we spent summers together. We traveled together. There is a level of, of hyper proximity that exists in those relationships that just never is possible to re-enter into. Not in without some major shifts of just like communally living and, and you know, monastery type of life. And, and, and frankly, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, let's kind of pray to God that you don't live in a house with 45 people again, unless, I mean, if, if you do, I would love to know what you make on that rent. Like, but either way, regardless, like, there is a level of proximity that you have to pursue. I mean, many people say like, man, post-college, I just never can get back to that point. And then you just start, you get married or you get in a family, you know, you start cutting off other relationships, not building up other ones. And you stop making the sacrifices necessary that it takes um, when you don't live in the same place as people to really have intentionality together. I mean, some of the commitment to proximity is simply saying like, hey, I'm going to arrange my calendar in a way that I'm actually prioritizing this relationship. I, I'm going to arrange my hobbies. I mean, I, I do this, I do something called life planning in which it, it really just tells you like, hey, like take an annual account and then it breaks it up into quarterly and then weekly reviews of like, hey, here's some imp- things that you just think are important to yourself and, and how can you like, you know, just make specific goals in each one. And, and I really realized, man, if I don't intentionally make an account and goals for friendship, I'm just always going to drift away from it. If I'm not regularly taking stock of like, am I, am I pursuing deep relationships with these people? If I, am I looking at Sunday and looking through my week and looking for the open times where I'm going to enter in intentionally and call them or text them now and put it on the schedule? It's just really not set up in a way for it just to continue to happen naturally in my life. And so there's a level of proximity that, that needs to be committed to that that comes in the sense of like, hey, I, I, I'm just in this with you. And then beyond just like the simple proximity of like, hey, we're going to like arrange our weeks. I say this regularly. I think there's a call for us if we want to pursue really vibrant relationships. And I mean, I don't know, you're gonna make, this sounds really cultish, but I just think it's like really vibrant and true. I'm just like, for many of us, pursuing commitment to a common area geographically together. I was just like saying, like, man, I, there was a really attractive offer, and man, I could like move to Austin or Portland, and that'd be fun because those places are like really cool. But I just like look around and think, like, man, I got really rich relationships here, and I don't want to just like sweep that aside and just kind of pursue after more connectivity or another job or a bigger dream house or whatever. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I'm not saying that circumstances might not have to have many of you move, and I know some of you are like, man, I'm just here in college, like. Uh, you know, I'm definitely going to probably have to move after this, and I pray that God might just instill in you some things that are true about our community that, that will continue to be flourishing and, and 
and just grow wherever community that God puts you finally. But I just pray that a lot of us would continue to look around and just be like, man, I want to intentionally stack hands and just be here long term. I, I just want to continue to commit to, yeah, I, I could go here, I could move here, I could, I could move this neighborhood, but man, I just want to continue to realize hey, there's a loss here by just like discontinuing these relationships. Again, that's not that something that every single person can take at every single time, but, but it, it's such a fear for me that it's just not even a place that hits in our mind in our world of like, yeah, I'm going to think through this, this decision by the relationships that I have and that, would I, that which I'd be forfeiting. And so, uh, again, again, probably the most, not controversial, but maybe just like countercultural thing for us to actually consider. Also, with all of this idea of covenant, there's a level of selectivity over connectivity. And here's what I mean. Again, Proverbs, what is it, 18.24? Uh, a man or woman of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Such a word for our culture right now, who finds ourselves with tons of companions surrounded by relationships, but yet still aching for something that, some itch that those things are just not scratching at. Again, junior in college for myself, I find myself just really, really involved in three groups that were like really selective and really intimate and really like, you know, just, you know, kind of demanded all my time. But because I was involved in all three, I was like intimately acquainted with what it was like to have tons of companions, but not being really deep with anyone. And this is like, to continue to live like that and not intentionally just say like, hey, yes, there's a call to extend peace and extend friendship and extend love and extend belonging to all people in many big and small ways. That there's just some really specific ways in which case if I'm going to go deep with a few people, I need to make it just like, hey, I've got to focus and and be a little selective to say like, hey, I, I love all these groups of people, but, but I, I'm running with this person. I'm running with these people. And, and I don't actually think it's biblically wrong with Jonathan and David to be like, hey, we want to covenant together. And, and yeah, we're going to continue. I mean, David has this group that they call their mighty men, which makes it sound way more like a musical than it is. They actually like fight for him a lot. Um, but like still, like, I mean, he has this group that he's just like, they fight for him. They're in deep relationships. But there's something that even when he's geographically aparted from him, that never fully and has the same language of his relationship to Jonathan. And so, man, I just like look at my life and be like, man, there's ways that I really have to just be intentional about saying like, hey, I've got to say no to some relationships in some facets just so I can say like, hey, I'm I'm, going to put it all on the line so I can can really be in this with you. I know this has a little bit of the effect of like, man, this week, everyone's going to be like, sorry, I'm like got a friend break up with you right now because like, you know, I, I just got too many friend relationships right now. Like, I, I don't know, like, you know, be patient with this. Like, go, you know, go to level. But you might just need to say, like Jonathan says, like, hey, I'm going to covenant and commit together with you. And, and I realize that that means I need to make myself really available to you. And again, it doesn't mean we don't turn ourselves off. In fact, we have large extensive relationships with the greater community. But there's just a certain level where I'm like saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go really deep here. So in, um, in all these things, uh, 
there's another area to go that, man, we even probably have time to go, but I think in this series we're going to have some other times to get there. And I, I'd love to just take like a minute here um, before closing just to kind of ask you, how are you going to actually look into applicable changes to live into these things? Because there's a whole lot of sense where you can like hear, read the story, hear these things, and be like, yeah, like I long for something deeper, but man, like to really press into that, you've either set a standard that just seems like so idealistic and impossible, like I can never get at that. Like, I mean, I can never like really think about rerouting my life to like really focus around deep relationships. Part of my hope for this series is that we might just poke long enough at some of these scabs that we feel that we've learned to kind of like ice over to maybe make us realize maybe the pain of staying the same and the pain of changing, like we all fear change, right? And you never change until basically it's more painful to stay the same. And so I just might put before you like, are you someone who finds yourself described in Proverbs of like, man, I've got, I'm companions with a ton of people. Or may, I, like I have the marriage, like I have this connected, but, but there's something continually I'm still yearning for. And it's, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm connected in a relationship with God. And yes, there's more than I need to press into that. But man, there's just friendships that I really need to press into. That I want to look at myself in my you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, however long God gives me, and just think about the tears I've wept with people and the connections I've had with people, the words of truth I've gotten to speak into people's lives, and then the same that they've done for me. And in order to do that, we just need to recognize that these things don't happen on their own. And there's a lot of things in our lives that are just going to continue to run counter and to frustrate these goals. And so I just invite you to think like, man, just in the sense of what we've said, I mean, just having uh, a deep intimacy or seeing friendship is something that's deeply intimate. Seeing um, commitment is something that actually means I'm cutting off other options in order to pursue, pursue presence with you. I mean, that not, doesn't just happen by like assuming the same geography. We even have to like run counter the way that we do technology. I mean, we'll continue to like beat this drum, but I mean, I read a study this week. Do you know that like one glance at a phone in the midst of a conversation devastatingly decreases all empathy towards that person. I mean, they've just drawn from the study that, like, just the moment of, like, I'm present with you, now I'm not, now I'm back, breaks so much connectivity. And that's just something we got to, like, just think about, like, man, if I'm really going to be present in a room with you, if I'm really going to embody God to you, if I'm going to have God embodied to you, from you to me, I might just need to think about, like, the way that our culture does tech might not be the way that I do tech. I'm not saying you never have a phone. I'm just saying, like, maybe you just, like, have some place where, like, I mean, me and a group of guys this week, just, like, we had a conversation. We're like, okay, phone tower. Stack them all in the middle. Because we just need to be really present right now. And so, as I invite you to that, um, let me simply just re-engage that this is just simple invitation. In the sense where, like, man, you think, like, okay, like, this is a lot of guilt. Like, I think about, like, yeah, like, I want these things, but I just either haven't done these things well or don't know if I could pursue these things well. Uh, But I remind you the same place that we continue to to found this series on. We We give of these things only because we are 
children and friends of God who have received these things. We don't give out of a sense of like, I need to be better, I need to be a better friend, because you can't give of anything that you haven't received. And Christ says like, hey, I come to be the ultimate friend to die to make you friends. I, I die to make all of sin and separation between you and God all completely paid for and atoned for so that we might have deep friendship. And then similarly, I don't just believe that there. Like the gospel is not simply people being reconciled to God, though it's no less than that. But it goes forward to then say, now you are also reconciled to all people, though you sin against each other, though there's separation. I die to remove that to God and to remove that amongst you. And, and so the gospel has to continually become a communal thing in our mind. It can't just be, man, when I come forward for communion, it's me communing with a God who has invited me to relationship with him. It has to be that, but it has to continue to extend. I invite you as we come forward and take communion in just a moment to make this a moment where you realize, hey, there's a reason we've set it up to do it this way. There's a reason that you're going to come forward and stand in a line and tear off a piece of a, a common piece of bread and dip it into a common cup. It's because there's a sense of like, hey, we all, as those who have been broken and, and far from God, have been reconciled to him. And then he says like, hey, now I turn you outward to be in the friendship community that I've made together. The entire Bible, again, is a revelation of God to reveal himself as friend and then say, and now I bring in people who then push themselves out to continue to extend friendship and relationship to each other. And so, man, I before you like sit here and be like, okay, here's all the things I need to do, though you do need to do that. Initially, you have to sense of like, I need to receive these things from God. And then, man, sit down, make the life plan. <laughs> then sit down and hash it out. Have the conversations, have the DTRs, have the, have the moments where then you apply. But, but it can't be driven out of guilt or it'll only be like a couple weeks of frenetic energy that then just falls away. So I invite you, I mean, communion will be here in just a moment. We'll have stations around the room where you can have a uh, common tear a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Gluten-free is up here to my right and your left. And I promise you, I will go and check on the AC and kick it back on. I see the fanning and I feel it myself. The spirit of God needs to move and he needs to move at about five degrees cooler than it is right now. Um, but let's, uh, let me pray for you now as we, uh, as we prepare to take this. Father God, I pray for you to... Lord, as you've made us present and as you've made us present even now uh, in the midst of, of this temperature and in this moment, I pray that that would not distract us from being able to do the work of, of just acting, uh, asking of ourselves, like, where do the disconnects happen in my life that are failing to form uh, friendships that, that I really believe, Lord, are, are ones that we are made for and, and can never be fully satisfied without. So, Lord, I, I pray that you would give us invitation into receiving power from your spirit to pursue these. That they wouldn't be just extra effort and extra goal setting of our own, but they'd be empowered by a God who has reconciled us and then filled us with his spirit to pursue him and to pursue you and then each other. And Lord, let us be a people that um, then do the work of, of making the long changes. These aren't just easy tweaks. But these are ways that we just have to go against some, some tendencies and some things that we've experienced in life or, or been handed to um, by our culture, our family of origin, or, or just the way that things are done around here. And say, like, hey, there's a way to go counter this to experience something more, depth, uh, more deep and more real. Um, Lord, uh, give us the, the courage and also um, the empowerment to um, become a body that just looks more like a family because these relationships are present.
I pray that in your son Jesus' name. Amen.